Hello. The Walk Awards for Effectiveness are back for 2024 and they have evolved. We're now celebrating strategic brilliance and effective impact across 12 categories and five new regions. It's our biggest award show yet. The great news is you just need to enter once for the chance to win in your region and be in line for the Global Grand Prix announced during Cannes Lions Week. And what hasn't changed is that all our entries will be rigorously judged and consistently benchmarked against the creative effectiveness ladder. So if you win a Global Walk Grand Prix, you can truly claim your campaign is one of the most effective in the world. I'm John Bazell, Walk's Awards Lead, and I'm here to encourage you to head straight to walk.com, download your entry pack, and send us your work by the early bird deadline on 12th of December to get the lowest fee. After that, fees double until the final deadline on the 6th of February. The Walk Awards 2024, Strategic Brilliance, Effective Impact, is the award show you've been waiting for. Hello and welcome to the Walk podcast. My name's Amy Rogers, I'm Head of Content for Walk Creative, our content pillar that looks at all things creative effectiveness. And this episode is part of a special three-part series that looks at just that, creative effectiveness. We'll be looking at work that's worked and asking what you can learn from it. Now to do this, we'll be using campaigns from the Walk Awards, looking at the work that won earlier this year. And remember, the 2024 awards are now open for entries. Joining me in this series is John Bazell, awards lead at Walk. And in this first episode in the series, we're going to be talking about examples of where brands have used real world solutions or products to communicate marketing messages and meet their objectives. Now, like I said, we're going to be talking through those examples from this year's Walk Awards. And we announced the global winners in Cannes in June. So John, as awards lead, can you tell us a bit about the Walk Awards and where people can go to enter the 2024 awards? Yes, I can. Hello, Amy. It's uh, nice to be talking to you about the awards again. I'd say it's a shame we're not doing this on a balcony overlooking the Riviera, but uh, (laughs) given the travel dramas we had getting there, it's probably safer that we stick to the podcast studio. Um, So the Walk Awards, we've had various programmes over the years, some specifically looking at media and strategy, some focused on effectiveness. As you've said, it's the winners from the 2023 Global Walk Awards for Effectiveness that we'll be focusing on in these podcasts. But actually, for 2024, we've restructured the programme and tried to combine the legacies of everything we've done before into the ultimate awards show for marketing strategy with impact. The ultimate awards show. You heard it here first, everyone. Okay, so tell me a bit more about the restructure. What are the hot takes? So we are going to run the same 11 categories that we had in 2023, plus a new strategic thinking category. But the big change is the introduction of five regional leagues. We're going to ask entrants to first compete in either an Asia-Pacific, European, Latin American, Middle East and African or North American League. And in those leagues, we'll announce bronze, silver and gold winners. And then the golds from all of those leagues will go through to a super league of uh, global Grand Prix. Okay, right. So you have to win a regional award for the chance to win a global one now. Yes, exactly. So it's a really exciting development, I think, particularly um, because this will be the first time, for example, that we've had a specific awards program for Latin America. And given some of the winners that we had this year from Argentina, Colombia, Brazil, I'm really excited to see what else that draws out. Um, Big changes. Uh, Ultimately, we're looking for the same thing, though. Innovative campaigns, ideas that worked and proven results. 
All of this is explained in much more detail, by the way, on uh, walk.com. I've recorded a short explainer video just in case people didn't get enough of me <laughs> in this year's winner announcements. Uh, you can also download an entry pack, which takes you through step by step how to enter important dates early bird deadline, 12th of December, and then the final deadline is on the 6th of February. Uh, also, my contact details are there if anyone has any questions. Brilliant. Yeah, if you want to put faces to our voices, then you can uh, go to that explainer that John mentioned on walk.com and also to uh, the Walk YouTube channel to see uh, John and I presenting um, the Effectiveness Show where we announced <laughs> this year's winners across two episodes, one of Thousands which was in Cannes, which is lovely. <laughs> Thousands. Um, and, and again, some of those winners are what we are discussing today. So um, just to recap, in this series, we grouped together a set of highly creative and effective case studies within a trend or theme, and then we unpack what, what makes them so effective in terms of the campaign itself, but also why that paper was award-winning and, and what the judges said about it. So let's get stuck in. The theme today is communicating through product solutions or services or branded utilities, if we're to use the, the kind of official marketing terminology. Uh, so each of the examples today feature a brand creating a product or service as a communications tool to capture attention and grow sales of, of a separate core brand product. Now, this technique can help create one-to-one -one engagement with consumers where your mass reach channels are becoming potentially less powerful for some objectives because of you know audience fragmentation and subcultures. Um, and the three examples we have today all had specific target audiences in mind with the utility that they created. Um, and then they used the attention that that gained to drive wider reach. So John, what's the first campaign we have as an example of this theme? So the first campaign we're looking at today is Dream Drop by Lotto Max in Canada. Uh, Lotto Max is one of the country's two big national draw-based lotteries. This won the Grand Prix in the Instant Impact category, which is a really interesting category, actually. We're specifically looking for short-term campaigns, and nothing entered here can last more than six months, and they have to have directly driven results. Um, but what I noticed during the judging sessions is it's really clear that the jury are quite anti-anything that seems gimmicky or, or stunty. The challenge for Lotto Max was that all of their growth was coming from their aging audience spending more rather than engaging uh, directly with young people. So what they wanted was a short-term way of getting Gen Z's attention, uh, but that could build long-term with them and lead to them seeing the brand as a viable entertainment option relevant to their lives and interests. Yeah, that, that all-important Gen Z. Um, I, I spoke to Shelley Brown, um, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at FCB Toronto, who are the agency that worked on this campaign um, when we were in Cannes earlier this year. Um, and she said that the solution built on a, on a brand platform that they'd used for years at Lotto Max, so that targeting that kind of older audience that they'd, they'd um, traditionally targeted. Um, and that kind of point of view was, was dream bigger or dream to the max to use that brand asset. Um, um, and like I said, previously, that had been about trying to convince sensible, practical Canadians to, to dream a bit bigger than paying off their mortgage or, or buying a new car. But this campaign, to those objectives that you just spoke about, was conveying that kind of brand platform of dream bigger, but to a younger audience in, in a way that's relevant to them. So we've got a clip here from that interview that I did with Shelley, where she's talking about how, how they went about that for Lotto Max. So brand point of view was something that we very much wanted to convey to a younger audience in a way that was much more relevant to them and, and much more, you know, something that they could grab onto. Mm. But 
the traditional channels that we use to communicate with the broader audience are not that relevant, frankly, for under 35s. And they're not interested in playing the lottery, so they're not going to pay attention to paid advertising particularly. So we decided, all right, you know, if Mohammed won't come to the mountain, the mountain is going to have to do some traveling. So fine. We found, all right, let's go out, do a lot of research. What are some of the spaces that are really important to our target audience? And what are their passions? What are they interested in? And one of the things that we found was fashion. Mm -hmm. So we thought, all right, fashion in a, a particular aspect of fashion, that is the drop, right? The designer has a new design and they drop it and it's going to sell out in just a few hours or days. And we thought, perfect, that's what we'll do. So we partnered with a designer, Mr. Saturday, and uh, he designed an absolutely fabulous line of clothing that were lottery tickets. So basically, it's the first wearable lottery ticket. So very stylish design, well-known designer. We organized the drop, and the clothes themselves are the lottery ticket. So that was our way of reaching out to a younger audience in a space that was relevant to them using the channels that you would expect to f use for a fashion drop, right? Yeah, Primarily yeah. social, et cetera. Yeah. And then we actually had a launch event. We held it in a bank vault and, and just made a big splash out of this new line of wearable lottery tickets. Yeah, yeah just to summarize that, each piece of clothing had a barcode on it, which entitled the owner to a year's worth of Lotto Max tickets, which could be worth up to $70 million. Uh, and each item was sold for $200. Yeah, exactly. So designer clothing plus incorporating a potentially very valuable lottery ticket. Um, now, this is obviously a podcast, so we can't show you the clothing line, but but I definitely wanted one of the hoodies when I saw it. And I'm just about in the target audience <laughs> almost. Um, and I think going back to the theme of this podcast, this is such a clever product solution for a marketing challenge. You know, they created something exclusive and desirable and and also that turned each wearer into a walking billboard for the brand. So, you know, although this is instant impact, um, they, they have created something with some longevity there. The real resale market for these pieces was massive um, and it's got repeatability as well, potentially. Um, so it's a great example of of you know instant impact but also has that potential longevity and it's also a great example of an effective partnership um they selected a designer who already had really popular clothing drops um so they used that existing exclusivity and and hype that the designer had already generated to their advantage um john you were in the jury room uh, what what did the judges say about this campaign I was, and they loved it. And I think because it, it wasn't a gimmick, it genuinely challenged the norms in a highly regulated category. And f for me, the crucial thing here is it's a really innovative idea, but it's not just that. It was executed with a real understanding of the audience. Making the clothes the lottery ticket is one thing, but then partnering with the right designer to make sure that those clothes are actually desirable is, is the genius move. And look, I'm not going to say I would have walked around in the hoodie myself because unlike no. you, <laughs> unlike you, I'm definitely ticking the next box up from their target audience. Um, but I do quite like the socks. Um, and we should also say what really sealed the deal for the judges is that this campaign led to a 200% increase in sales. 200%. Uh, 
so there's a note to future entrants. That's the kind of metric that can take you a long way in an effectiveness competition. Yeah, uh, I mean, I can see you in the socks for sure. <laughs> Maybe the hoodie. Um, but yeah, mm. very strong results, worthy of a Grand Prix winner. Um, and, and just some some more results. I mean, the hoodie sold out in 11 minutes um, and 90% of the entire collection sold out in 24 hours. So you can really see the hype that it generated through that partnership. Okay, let's move on to our second campaign for today, which uh, links quite nicely from the previous in that this is a second use of a brand partnership to create a fashion line to sell a product completely unrelated to fashion. Um, It's also a second example of an effective campaign in a challenging category. So the previous campaign was highly regulated in gambling. um, And this is this category isn't regulated, but it's a fairly taboo category in, in quite a conservative region. So This campaign is um, for feminine hygiene brand Always. Um, It took place in the UAE. Uh, The title is the Not Hot Period Wear Collection. And this won gold in the partnerships and sponsorships category. Uh, Before we talk about the campaign itself, John, can you tell us a bit about what the judges are looking for in this partnerships and sponsorships category? Sure. So this category is all about celebrating the collaborations that have helped brands meet their goals. And that can be a number of things, native advertising, sponsorship or influencer marketing. And in fact, we have examples of all of those uh, in this year's group of winners. The Grand Prix for this category is really interesting, actually. It's iShares and they sponsored rising basketball stars with a deal that taught them how to invest responsibly. And because a huge proportion, I think the case study says it's about 60% of NBA players are rumoured to face bankruptcy. So this campaign really worked on that problem, but it also resulted in a triple digit increase in consideration for iShares. So people should definitely check that case study out on Walk. Yeah, there are so many different campaigns from from this year's Walk Awards that we could that we could discuss. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, to go back, this one that was the Grand Prix. This this one one that we're going to discuss today won the gold. Um, and then the partnership that we're looking at now was um, was with one of Saudi's most uh, progressive fashion designers, Nasiba Hafiz. Um, you might be wondering where the link is between a fashion line designed to be seen with a product very much the opposite in a feminine hygiene um, product. Um, well, the link is in a product feature, actually. Um, So a cooling material that's used in the always cool and dry pad um, was then, you know, re re kind of designed for this fashion line. Um, Always had two challenges in the region. Um, It had an equity challenge in that the brand was perceived as quite old school and a portfolio challenge in that the brand was perceived as uncomfortable. So to counter that second challenge, the the discomfort perception, um, always created this product, the cool and dry pad. Um, And then the communication challenge was then to tell consumers about this new product while changing perceptions of the brand as being quite old school. Um, And so they did that through this fashion line that was inspired by and made from the same material as the cool and dry pad. Um, To put that into a little bit more context and hear hear a little bit more about it, we can listen to a, a clip from the case study video now. Summers in Saudi Arabia are hot, very, very hot. But for women on their periods, it's worse, as during our cycles, body temperatures naturally increase. Picture this, scorching summer heat, plus extra body heat, plus periods, plus layers of dark clothes. It's unbearable, uncomfortable. And it's never been spoken of because any subject related to periods is still taboo. So when Always launched its cool and dry pad with a cooling top sheet, 
we dare to think bigger. The pad's fabric cools parts of women's bodies. What if it could cool all their body? Introducing Not Hot Period Wear. The world's first designer period wear, created in collaboration with Nasiba Hafiz, one of Saudi's most progressive designers. The technology of the pad is what inspired this whole collection. The fabric that we use is also called Cool and Dry. It has these mini holes, literally covering our whole bodies with the same technology. Every item defied taboos by being a bold, visible, and colorful demo of the Cool and Dry pad. Our launch was loud, featuring Saudi's boldest influencers shot by Saudi's edgiest photographer. In summer 2022, Not Hot Period Wear dropped online and in pop-up stores. This is such a good campaign. And actually, this was a really strong category overall. The top five in this category all really proved their effectiveness. So in the jury room, there was serious debate about what was going to come out on top. I think ultimately, the thing about this Always campaign is that it's a huge worldwide brand trying to find a solution to a hyper-local problem. The words I remember being repeated in that jury room were bold, brave, courageous. And this is really innovation and creativity in partnership. And it absolutely, Amy, connects with our, our theme of products and solutions for today. What always did is um, something very different that delivered on the functionality of the product. Their campaign didn't take advantage of something coincidental, um, like you might say the Muller Rice campaign with, with Declan Rice did in this category. What they did was start with the product and built out from there. And I remember one of the judges called it a true partnership that has challenged convention, which makes you realise why they rated this so highly. Um, the campaign really struck a chord with Saudi women and the judges loved that it was about creating much more than just a, a fashion statement. It was about creating a period positive movement. Um, so amongst all of the performance metrics they provided, they have this great stat again about their Gen Z audience and that the campaign reached 18 million people through sharing and amplifying what they'd done. Yeah, I think the earned media results on this one are particularly impressive given the taboo nature of the subject yeah. in the UAE. I think the brand in the past had had difficulty um, finding people to talk about the brand and influencers to collaborate with because of the nature of the product. And I think this campaign is a clever way around that. It, it's given people something to talk about that is intrinsically linked to the product, um, but that isn't shied away from in the same way as overtly talking about the product itself would have been. Um, and, and like the Dream Drop collaboration that we were talking about previously, people wearing this fashion line then promoted the brand, the brand. So it had the collaboration logo on the on the pieces of clothing uh, and they became, you know, like walking billboards for the brand, like that Dream Drop example. Well, oh, there's another item for your wardrobe, Amy. Um, yeah, I think it's so interesting that we've looked at two really different categories so far. So gambling and then feminine hygiene, but both are communicating with a Gen Z audience through fashion. Yeah, I mean, this is creative effectiveness, right? It's outside of the box thinking. Yeah. And um, it reminds me, actually, to, to go quickly back to that, the Dream Drop campaign. When I spoke to Shelley Brown from FCB in Cannes, um, she said that one of the products they're exploring next to promote um, the Lotto Max is, is ice cream bars that taste like what a millionaire's lifestyle tastes like. So they have, for example, a private island ice cream bar or, or a grail sneaker ice cream bar. Um, obviously, these are fringe activations, but, but they're imaginative. <laughs> Is you know it's creative strategic thinking. Oh, I am absolutely here for a private island ice cream bar. 
<laughs> Me too, especially given yeah. the weather outside at the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, there, there was actually a, a really good session in our creative impact stream at, at Canlines this year from um, Rob Campbell, Paula Bloodworth and Martin Weigel. And it was titled Strategy is Constipated, Imagination is the Laxative. And, and it talked to exactly that about imagination being the key to making strategy great again. Um, so I, I'd recommend going and watching that on the walk site if you weren't able to attend in, in person. Um, anyway, I digress. We're here to talk about the Walk Awards. Well, if you insist, although I'm quite happy talking about ice cream, to be age. Right then, let's get on to our third and final campaign that speaks to the theme of products as solutions. We're now going to look at Vaseline's See My Skin campaign, which won the Grand Prix in the brand purpose category. Why have you chosen this one, Amy? Okay, so in, in line with our theme of marketing via the creation of a real world product, uh, the product here is more of a technology. So we're moving away from fashion for this one. Um, Vaseline wanted to market to black women as they were facing competition from legacy challenger brands and disruptors, and also a wave of, of consumer skepticism around skin products. Um, and they did so through the creation of a database that would help black women to identify skin issues. Now, this came from the insight that less than 6% of images in search results for skin conditions show results in skin of colour. Um, and Vaseline felt this was something that they could um, really address. It was timely and relevant. Um, and I actually interviewed Melly Hock, who is the Chief Strategy Officer for Edelman US. Um, she worked on this project. Um, so we can hear now from, um, from her about the background to this campaign. If you think about Vaseline, right, most people think about that jar of petroleum jelly, which has extraordinarily high penetration. And, you know, what's interesting about it is that Vaseline, you know, you use it every now and then, maybe you put it on your lips, maybe remove makeup, whatever it is. Um, but for the black community, it really is a product that's used like so much more. It's used for daily moisturizing, it's layered on top of like other lotions and products. And so it's really a beloved product in the black community, but the brand hadn't really like marketed towards black women from like a purpose point of view for a really long time. A lot of the growth, because they had such a loyal following, um, a lot of the growth was being pursued globally, um, being pursued with other other audiences in the US. And with this campaign, we really wanted to get back down to like the core of the brand, like get back down to that jar of petroleum jelly and the audience that had made it so incredibly popular and do something that was authentic, meaningful, and would grow brand love for them. So the product that was created is a database uh, called See My Skin, and it's designed to search conditions on skin of colour. So um, they aggregated thousands of images of skin conditions on black and brown skin and created a searchable database. Um, and similar to the previous um, two case studies that we've talked about, this campaign really relied on collaboration to make it work. I think each of these campaigns could have been entered into the partnerships um, category. Um, so, so Vaseline partnered with dermatologists, with visual imaging specialists, with medical librarians and software providers. So a, a really robust network of collaborators teaming up to create something beneficial to the black community. And again, like we talked about with the previous campaigns, uh, and particularly applicable for this one, actually, this product has longevity. So it outlasts the campaign. It continues to be used and updated. So it continues to work um, for the Vaseline brand. Um, and we can hear Melly again talking about that longevity. So the best thing about See My Skin is that in a way it's a product in itself, right? Like the database is, every time I open it, I'm like, this is such a smart, thoughtful 
empathetic experience that was built <laughs> and and we're we're always optimizing it like we make you know edits updates to the site right um our creative technologists like they're on there every day we're like looking at the um the back end data and how people are using the site and working to make it more seamless so it exists as this ongoing pro this ongoing space that people can go to um and, and it's going to live well beyond like the campaign moment to launch it and that's also where our partners come in. So like working with Hued, working with Walmart, like making sure that people are aware from any channel that they choose to enter, um, that it exists and that they can get help there. So interesting listening to her there. You know, the brand purpose category always sparks debate. Actually, if people are interested, we published two op-eds from different jury members this year, one from Rohit Aurora and one from Christina de Milanzo, looking at what the winners in this category tell us about the evolving relationships between brands and their purposes that are well worth a read. Um, but what it always seems to come down to is that without without being authentically integrated into a brand's DNA, consumers can just smell that a purpose is a badge to make them look good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, in Rohit's piece, he talks about one of the most honest ways for a brand to approach this is to find a cause or an issue that deeply aligns with their business and then to throw their resources at finding a product or a solution to it. And then just to acknowledge that it's also about driving a, a positive bottom line. And this Vaseline campaign, to me, is a great example of that. And I think that's one of the key reasons that it came out on top for the judges. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point. So acknowledging that purposeful brands look to drive business growth through their campaigns and not just benefit the cause that they're aligned with. Um, you know, it's, it's about shared value. Um, and for this campaign, um, Vaseline's share of market rose year on year and retail sales rose throughout the campaign period. So it, so it had some strong results for Vaseline attached to it. Yeah, and inclusion of those hard metrics is so important in effectiveness papers, and that applies to the brand purpose category as much as any of the others. Um, also, I'd like to say, and this isn't really the right medium to get this across, but if you do look at this case study, there's a killer chart that they included, uh, with, which shows that the See My Skin user growth just goes up and up throughout the duration of the campaign. It's a really simple graph, but it's it speaks to the judges when you've got a whole case study to compare it to that visual can really make a difference. So that is another of my key tips for 2024 award entrance. Always make sure there's a killer chart. Okay. Metrics and killer charts. Got it. Anything else? Uh, maybe in the next episode. Uh, although <laughs> I will say that, that we have a great video from Dr. Grace Kite where she talks about killer charts and that's on the Walk YouTube channel. Yeah, which you can go and watch right now as that's all we've got time for today. Um, a final reminder that the Walk Awards are now open. So do head over to Walk to download your entry pack. Um, we have another two episodes of the podcast in this series on the 2023 winners. So look out for those. Um, and please subscribe if you don't already via your favourite podcast platform. So until next time, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.